Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, August 19, 2012. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. For a great majority of the week, I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, man, YNR is dragging right now. For the most part, it was kind of not a very exciting week. And then Sharon pulled it out for me at the end. I mean, at the 11th hour, she was there getting me back in, making me really, really curious about what's going to happen next week. So I never expected to hear myself say this, but thank goodness for evil Sharon. (laughs) She is demonstrating a level of villainous that I have mixed emotions about, of course, but that's keeping me interested. She's kind of one of the most interesting things on the show right now, starting with, hey, you know what I enjoy on a hot August evening? Roasting marshmallows inside. Oh, yeah, and sensitive documents. I also enjoy roasting sensitive documents. Sharon totally toasted her prenup. She just got rid of it, knowingly, willfully, all on her own accord. She didn't need Tucker or anybody else to help convince her that she had to get rid of that prenup. And she did. And everyone knows that she did. Avery went to her, got the vibe that Sharon had done something with it. Nikki saw her. Nikki walked in as Sharon was stoking the fire, and Nikki saw that Sharon had broke in to Victor's suitcase, and of course, Sharon had a myriad of lies. She said that she uh, was burning old letters that Victor gave to her, which is ridiculous. Why would he have those in his briefcase? She's so shady, now, and Nikki sees exactly through it. The two ladies get in yet another fight, which is very entertaining. (laughs) I can't lie. I I am enjoying the rivalry between Nikki and Sharon. So everything is a, a rumble at the ranch. One of the guards can hear the yelling from outside the door. They end up calling Nick, and Nick has to go to the ranch on a disturbance call. He might as well keep a walkie-talkie on his belt buckle. <laughs> he's having to break up fights between all of the women in Genoa City lately. And he's been in his own fair share of fights. But Nick does kind of get in there, break it up. He... Scolds Nikki a little bit for sending that text message that made Sharon think that her marriage was over, and it was kind of a mean girl sort of trick. Not that Sharon hasn't done her fair share, also, of bad things. And Nick confronts her, asks her if she burnt burned the prenup, and she says, Oh no, I was roasting marshmallows with faith. In the fireplace. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Come on. Nobody buys that story. But Sharon has this new air about her where she seems to feel like, hey, screw it. I don't really care if you do believe me or not. This is my house. This is my life. You people aren't going to push me around anymore. There is something more liberated about Sharon that I do enjoy. (laughs) It's a mixed bag. You know, I feel... I feel mixed about the way that Sharon is being right now, but everyone in the Newman family knows exactly where they're, where they stand. Everyone in the Newman family is wetting themselves 
with fear. They're afraid. And I think it was actually Tucker who put it best this week. They're afraid of Sharon realizing the amount of power that she has. She's kind of been a little bit of, um, I don't know, she has been unknowing. She's, I think, kind of has somewhat of an idea of what her rights could be, but she didn't really understand without, you know, now that this prenup is out of the way, what that means for her and what could mean for her future. So she has, you know, been backpedaling and lying and doing everything she can do to keep the Newmans off her back. And the Newmans tried to get her to sign a postnup. They tried to get her to sign away pretty much the what was in the document that she just burned. And I think that Sharon would maybe have not done that. But there was also this little part of her, I think, that felt guilty over what she had done. And she was starting to feel a little bit weak, like she maybe was going to sign the postnup document. Until Tucker comes in and he starts to stoke Sharon's fire. And I think that Sharon sees Tucker as her only friend, only ally in the world right now. But Tucker is really only looking out for his own business interests. In retrospect, I can see it now. He is interested in what's going on with Victor and hoping that Sharon can give some insight. He's sniffing around. He wants to know if Victor's really gone, is he going to be back, and how is this going to benefit him? Because Tucker is right there in the wings, kind of playing both sides. He's there with Sharon, encouraging her, and then he turns around and is chummy-chummy with Nick and Victoria and telling them that, oh yeah, I'll talk to Sharon. I'll see if I can get her to kind of back off. Give me a break. He's playing both sides and he's hoping that he's the only one standing at the end. He is literally winding Sharon up like a little doll and then just pew, letting her go. Letting her walk into her own doom. I almost, almost feel sorry for Sharon. I don't think she knows what she's getting herself into. Tucker was able to find this law precedent that essentially gives her Victor's proxy in Victor's absence. So she's able to vote on Victor's behalf at the board. I imagine she's able to step in as the CEO, or is that what Victor is? I don't know. Is he the CEO? I don't know. Maybe Victor, or or, I I can't remember. I think Victor's title might even be higher than that. But anyway, it seems as if Sharon is going to have a right to step in and get involved in all of the day-to-day operations at Newman, and she's going to be able to trump card anything that Nick, Victoria, or anyone else at the company says. So Tucker finds this little loophole, and Sharon just jumps right into it. I mean, I guess Tucker's perspective is... What's bad for Newman is going to be good for McCall. I don't know if you guys have any theories about what Tucker's exact motives are. Do you think he's trying to get his hands on this new cosmetics firm, the Newman Cosmetics firm? Do you think he just wants to end up... Do you think he's going to prod Sharon to get her to sell more shares so that he can have more control? Because she could certainly do that. Uh, so I, There's definitely more going on in Tucker's mind than meets the eye. I'm curious to know what his end game is going to be. But in the meantime, I can't help but feel that Sharon is just being used by him. She, uh, she, 
She just can barely even read a contract, and she thinks that she's going to step in and butt into Newman, that she's going to become this powerhouse player. There was a scene where she was reading the prenuptial, or sorry, the postnuptial agreement that Avery tried to get her to sign, and you could tell by the look on her face, she didn't even know what it meant. She's looking at the prenup going, ah, her eyes glaze over. She had to get Tucker to look at it for her. There was another scene in Glowworm when Tucker brought the law precedent. He shows up with this big thick book that includes the court case that they're going to use as a precedent and he flips open the page, gives her a a look and she's immediately she's like, I don't know what I'm looking for. She can't comprehend (laughs) what he's even trying to show her. It seems like Sharon is almost having a hard time even following along with what Tucker's trying to get her to do. So, uh, she, I, I don't know what makes her think that she's all of a sudden gonna come, uh, going to become this powerhouse player. Like, I guess if Sharon were even interested in business before now, that would be one thing. It seems like it's coming out of the blue. Yeah, she kind of wanted something to do when she was working on developing the cosmetics line, but I never got the impression that it was about power for her. I got the impression that Sharon just wanted a job. She just wanted something to do, and she enjoyed the attention that she was getting from Victor, and now all of a sudden, she's really, really stepping into shoes that are too big for her. She, she All of a sudden... I think it's just about recognition for her, redemption for her, revenge for her. Uh, it's it's scary. It's a scary new look at Sharon's dark side. And the more that the Newmans push her, the more that dark side starts to come out. The more she starts to behave like a like a, a rabid dog. She's cornered and she's just lashing out. And it's it's certainly a, uh, and it's an interesting look for her. We'll put it that way. Um, so <laughs> the big news of the week, the big scene, the the thing that really brought me back into the show was this board meeting. And everybody's wondering what's Sharon going to do. Nick and Victoria are hoping that she just quietly goes away, doesn't decide to make any waves. Tucker, behind the scenes, knows that he's been baiting her, pushing her, prodding her, and he has a feeling that she's going to go right through with it if she's able to muster up the cojones to go through it. So everyone settles in for this board meeting. It's Nick, Victoria, who's decided to come back to the company to try to save it uh, in Victor's absence. Adam is there. Tucker's there. There's a couple other random people there on the board. And they're going to it sounds like try to appoint a new CEO. They're going to figure out how they're going to handle the press element. Uh, they don't want their stock to tank because Victor's gone, and they don't want to shake confidence in the in the market. So everybody's kind of quietly settled into this board meeting, and Sharon flings open the door, makes her big entrance, and it is everything. It is truly everything. She has this big, thick book in her hand, and she slams it down on the table, and she tells them, look, I have every right to be here, and you're not going to take it away from me. And get this, suckas, until Victor Newman returns, I am Victor Newman.
So get used to it. It was so good. That line, until Victor Newman returns, I am Victor Newman. It was it was straight out of Mommy Dearest. The entire scene was straight out of Mommy Dearest. There's that, that famous boardroom scene where they're trying to... Um, out of that movie, Mommy Dearest, they're trying to, the it's like a boardroom scene at Pepsi, and they're trying to get Joan Collins out of the company, and she's just rabid, exactly like Sharon was. She was even, I think, wearing a black business suit, and she's, there's this famous line where she just looks at them all, and she goes, don't F with me, fellas. You've got to look it up, because it's, the parallels are just uncanny. So YouTube it, Mommy Dearest boardroom scene. It's a lot like what happened it was, uh, this week on YNR. It was straight out of Mommy Dearest. And I really loved it. They've got to start putting together sooner or later that Sharon is not doing this on her own. She's not going and looking up legal precedents on her own. Somebody else is there behind her. They have sensed that there's a weak spot in the organization and they're they're jumping on it, and I don't know who it's going to be, but somebody's going to figure out that it's Tucker behind this whole thing, and they better figure it out before Sharon decides to go take her seat behind Victor's desk. That is going to be a, a, a surreal moment. She just, oh, it's going to be really hard to watch her fall. Some people are going to enjoy it, but I, I, I feel pity for her because I just see her as this almost lost girl who is now in way, way over her head. And I feel sorry for her because it's going to be her against everyone. Tucker's not going to be there for her at the end of the day. He's going to get what he wants and then he's going to leave. So she's going to be left all alone once again. And it's not going to be pretty. I'm not looking forward to the downfall. I'm enjoying the her ascent to madness. But not not gonna not looking forward to the downfall. I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Tucker's next suggestion is for her to have Victor declared legally dead, so that she can settle into maybe a more permanent position uh, of power at Newman, or at least make things a little more difficult. Who knows? Uh, it's kind of a lot like what happened with Adam. Isn't it? Didn't well. Victor was away in jail. He gave his proxy and everything to Adam, and everyone hated it and couldn't. You know, Adam made deals and things that ended up becoming undone. So it's kind of a repeat of what that was. And I'm curious to know how you guys all felt about Adam's reaction at the boardroom table. You know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of it. He seemed a little bit more shocked, but he didn't have a chance to really address how he was feeling or anything. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Adam says next week. Is he going to be appalled by Sharon? <laughs> Is he going to end up siding with his estranged brother and sister against Sharon? Or maybe, just maybe, is it possible that Adam might be just a little bit impressed with her? It's Victor's fault that all this is happening. If Victor did just 
drop his phone and jump off the horse and then walk off into the night with complete cognizance of what he was doing, then it's his fault that all of this is going down. I don't know if he thought, eh, the prenup will take care of it, everything will be fine, they'll all live without me. But it is extremely, if that's the case, inconsiderate of him to just leave, I, I can't believe he does this, to just leave and, and leave a mess for everybody else to clean up. It's inconsiderate to Nick, who still works at the company. He can't expect that he can just walk away and that there's not going to be any repercussions if he genuinely cares about his business, which we all know Victor does. So the only thing, it's either that or I wonder if maybe Victor accidentally fell off the horse. I'm wondering if he got a bump on the head. That's the only other thing that would explain it. Otherwise, I'm mad at him. If he just left of his own accord, I'm annoyed. If he fell off the horse, bumped his head, that and maybe has amnesia or something, then that might be another story. Because we saw quite a few scenes of Victor this week in a bar. I'm assuming still in California. Seems like it's still kind of around those docks, the Port of L.A. that we saw last week. And he did, to me, seem a little bit disoriented. He is broke. He's disheveled. And to me, it kind of seemed like he had a little bit of a limp. Like, he just was... He he didn't seem right. He wasn't talking very much. He seemed... A little bit off. And so I do kind of wonder if maybe he's got amnesia or he's startled or something. I don't know. But he's sitting around in this bar and and this guy is at the bar next to him, realizes that Victor doesn't have any money. He, ha- he pulls out a lot of ones. I'm surprised Victor Newman even knows what a dollar bill is. <laughs> he's probably like, what is this bill? Is it missing a few zeros? No, actually, that's not right. That's very, that's incorrect of me because Victor grew up poor. I'm sure he knows. Um, he, um, it may have been a while since he's remembered, but I'm sure he, <laughs> he's had his fair share of evenings where he hasn't been able to order food. And he was in that situation. Situation as well this week. He really wanted a shot of tequila and he really wanted a sandwich, but if you only got money for one, he's gonna pick the tequila. And the guy sitting at the bar next to him, I think, detected that this is a guy maybe we can scam. He's a drunkard, he's got a little bit of money, maybe we can take some money from him. And so they get him into this dice game. I don't know why Victor agreed to a game of dice with strangers, with seedy individuals at a bar when you've only got a couple of bucks anyway. Victor could easily get money. Again, it just kind of goes with the theory. I just wonder if he is disoriented, if he doesn't entirely know who he is. But he gets into this dice game, and of course... The guys have loaded dice, and they try to scam him out of his money. First, they let him win, and then all of a sudden, they flip the dice and and start, you know, using loaded dice. And Victor is not about to have that. Even if he doesn't know who he is, he knows that you're not going to mess with him. He grabs this big guy by the finger and, like, pulls his finger back. And the whole thing... It was so kind of dumb, because the guy... The guy is probably half Victor's age and twice as big and Victor's just holding his pinky back he's got this arm free and it's just holding on to the <laughs> the chair and then he's got a buddy next to him obviously it's a ring and the a, a ring of bad guys and then they don't do anything Victor's just like they could have easily jumped up and jumped him <laughs> it's ridiculous and the guy had one hand free if he's pulling back your finger just hit him with the other hand <laughs> 
looking for reality in the, this situation, Allie. Just stop it. It's not going to do you any good. But they get in this altercation and they decide that they're going to settle it like men and they're going to go outside and fight. So they, we see the scene of them leaving the bar, then a commercial, when we come back and Victor's back in the bar. He's got a bloody hand. He's obviously more disoriented. I think he had a head wound or something. He's obviously been in the fight and the someone comes in from the outside saying, yeah, you got two bodies on the sidewalk out there. So Victor has obviously beaten two men. Victor has taken on two men, <laughs> which <sighs> Victor's in shape. I will give him that. But now I'm picturing that he must have had to bust out some kind of Bruce Lee moves on the street. He had to have been like, wah, 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 all over the place. He's seriously, or maybe it was like one of those Matrix deals where he's suspended in air and flies through the air and then Karate Kick chops him or something. I don't know. I love you, Victor. I mean, if he if he's badass enough to take on two bigger, younger guys and beat them both, I don't know. Maybe he's just wasting his time in Genoa City. Nikki's priorities are so out of whack. Picture, if you will, or flashback, if you will, to the scene of Nikki and Sharon having their fight at the ranch. And Nikki makes a lunge for Victor's briefcase, and she pulls out all of the documents from the briefcase, holds them really, really tight to her chest, and she says something like, you don't need to hurt a good man like Victor any more than you already have. You don't need to hurt a good man like Victor while she's clutching onto his papers like a young schoolgirl. I just felt that that said something. She's clutching onto anything Victor. She doesn't care about those papers. She's she's clutching onto anything remaining of him. She's trying to defend anything that she can that remains of him. And I understand. Truly, I understand that she's connected to him. They have children together. They have grandchildren together. No one's denying that. Of course she should care that he's missing. Someone has to because Sharon certainly doesn't. And the kids don't even seem to be as concerned. But this would not be the first time, Nikki, that Victor has decided to up and roam around. He did it not even that long ago, okay? And at some point, you have to actually move on with your life instead of just saying that you're going to move on. Everything else is just lip service. You can be concerned about him. Hire a private detective. You don't need to go and blow up your entire life to go looking for him. I'm, I, feel, I feel disappointed in her for that because... I know that her marriage with Jack is not going to last. We all know that the marriage with Jack is not going to last. But at the same time, Nikki, I think that it's time to try to hold on to any little areas of happiness that you can. It's it's difficult to watch her throw away this happiness for, for Victor where she's it seems 75% of the time unhappy. Maybe that 25% is magic 
fireworks, incredible, but 75% of the time unhappy, I don't think it's worth it. And I feel bad for Jack. He has made this honeymoon vacation for them. They're going to go to the Seychelles. They're going to lay on a beach. They're going to just blink their little brains out. And Nikki won't go. She decides I'm not, she can't go on a honeymoon because Victor's missing. It wouldn't be possible for her to go on with her life because Victor is missing. Nikki, I love you, but Victor has abandoned you so many times. More times than I can count. That's what he does. You get close and then he abandons you. And now you're abandoning Jack. Don't be like that. Don't do that to Jack. You shouldn't have married him in, in the first place when you clearly had feelings for Victor. And I I feel bad. I, I feel bad for Jack. But at the same time, I also think that Jack knew what he was getting into. You don't marry Nikki Newman. You don't get involved with Nikki Newman and think that she's not going to go running back to Victor. You don't think that Victor's not going to be a huge part of that life. Ask Paul, ask Brad, ask anyone that she's tried to get involved with since then. Of course, Brad's dead, so you can't ask him, but you could ask David Chow. You could ask a myriad of other men who have tried to be with her. You've tried to be with her before, and it never works out. Victor's always going to be a part of the lo- of her life. You You would literally have to be blind to not see that she still loves Victor, and I've I was, I was, I was upset just in general at at the whole situation. But um, Jack offered her an ultimatum. She says, "I'm not going to go on the honeymoon. I have to go searching for Victor." He said, and he said to her, "If you go, I'm not going to be here waiting for you." And she went anyway. I had a brief little moment. She went upstairs to pack her suitcases, and I thought maybe she's going to come back down and tell Jack, I changed my mind, let's go on the honeymoon, I've packed both of our suitcases, let's go! No! She packed her suitcase and just, she, as soon as he said that, if you go, I will not be here waiting for you. She just looked at him with a heartbreak, and, and, and I think shock. She did have that kind of a moment of, really? Well, I have to do what I have to do. And she stood up and, and walked out. Nikki, <sighs> mm. Nikki, Nikki. I am really sorry because I think that you're going to be really pissed when you find out that Victor's just out wondering. Victor's just out being Victor the way Victor does. And you just threw away your marriage for that. I don't know who's worse at this point, Sharon or Phyllis. You're going to have to let me know what you think about that because both of these characters have devolved. (laughs) They've just, they're really, really going through tough times right now, both of them. First of all, Phyllis flipped out at Summer this week. Did you guys see that scene? After Phyllis stole money from... (laughs) from Summer's trust fund, 
she Summer started asking questions about Avery and what's going to go on with this trial and obviously concerned about her mother. Phyllis screamed at her. Phyllis, to me, she just kind of got into her Courtney love mode and started screaming. I couldn't believe it. I don't know if it was her guilt over taking that money from Summer's trust fund that maybe just... I don't know, inspired that flame or if she's just at her wit's end. But she, the way she snapped on Summer was really inappropriate. My mom has yelled at me, but never yelled at me like that. It was anger yell, and I feel sorry for Summer having to put up with a mother like that. Um, just on a total side note, I do not love Summer and it's not that uh, it's the main reason that I don't like Summer and do not enjoy her scenes is because I can barely understand what she's saying. Is it me or she she talks fast and with this kind of valley girl, young teen kind of accent where I don't even know what she's saying. Am I alone in that? It's just very like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't translate. I don't have anything against her inherently, but I can't. Oh, yeah. You guys got to go. That was pretty good. The second one was good. The first impression needed some work, but the second one I thought was pretty good. I mean, that's just how I feel. Um, so Phyllis freaks out on Summer just for asking questions about Avery, and then she was able to get a new attorney. Nick actually convinced her that, hey, you know, you need to maybe do something to help yourself instead of hurt yourself for once. That might be good. A good idea. So she calls Leslie back to town because all of the other lawyers in Genoa City are wrapped up with other things, and we lost Chris as a lawyer, so obviously we need another lawyer. It's too many lawyers, you guys. Too many lawyers. Although I like Leslie. She's funky and kind of cute and everything, but Phyllis completely roped Leslie in and didn't give her all of the details. Made it sound like it was a no baggage, no biggie sort of arrangement. It's just a murder, attempted murder charge. Meh. Nothing else you need to know. Doesn't tell her about the bribery. Doesn't tell her about the recording. Just totally ropes her into something that she's not going to be ready for and it's going to end up hurting her in the long run. I don't know where Phyllis got the money to hire Leslie anyway. I thought she tapped out all of her money. I don't know. I do not know. She's going to need a good lawyer, so whatever. Maybe Nick is going to give her the money. I have no clue. She did manage, Phyllis did manage to talk Nick into coming back home this week. All last week was, Nick, can you call me? Nick, call me back. I miss, you know, I miss you. Can you just call me back? Just call me back, Nick. And <laughs> finally, he, start, he looks like he came home. He's starting to forgive her. And the thing that ticks me off, even though... <clears throat> I want to like Nick and Phyllis. The thing that ticks me off is that they always end up resolving it with sex. It's almost like Phyllis knows that she can get away with whatever she needs to, as long as at the end of the day, she rides him real good. That's the impression that I get. She, he's, he's, he's standing there telling her, scolding her about all the things she's done wrong, and then she just gives him a look 
and they start kissing and making out and doing it. And I feel that their relationship has in large part been about sex. And that is, it's it's always good to watch. I always enjoy a good sex scene. But on a deeper level, I'm wondering if there is anything. Is it just sex? Uh, so Nick is going to be so pissed off. So pissed off when he hears what she's done next. Because Dr. Reed has returned onto the scene. He's got a new suit He's got a new watch. He's got, like, gold rings on every finger. Please. This guy is the biggest dork on the planet. You can put him in a suit, put him in some jewelry. It doesn't matter what you do. He's still a dork. New glasses. I don't care. Dork. (laughs) And Michael is wanting to depose him. Michael knows that he has to get him. He's He's a key witness. And as soon as Dr. Reed gets deposed, that he's probably going to tell everything. It doesn't matter if he's been bribed. He's still going to tell about this tape where Phyllis is confessing to hitting uh, Christine with her car. So Phyllis finds out about this and realizes she has to stop it. She calls Dr. Reed, tells him, threatens him, honestly. She's like, you better not mess with me. And guess what? He says, I want sex from you. More or less. Doesn't matter if you blackmail me. Doesn't matter how much money you give me. At the end of the day, I still want sex. She should have known better. I said it last week. A blackmailer never goes away. You gave him one sum of money, he wanted more. You gave him that sum of money, he wanted really more. And she really should have seen that coming. And rather than, again, confiding in Nick or confiding in the authorities or her lawyer, she decides... To take matters into her own hands. (laughs) Mm. She calls him over. She says, my husband's going to be out uh, tonight. So why don't you come over and I'll give you what you want. I, first of all, cannot believe that she called him over to her house. Like where, where there are surveillance cameras and where Nick could walk in at any time. By the way, just about the surveillance camera, it seems that she hacked the surveillance camera outside of her door. So I guess that means she's just going to get rid of that. Because this whole time, I thought that she was going to be setting him up. I thought she was going to try to set him up and get him on tape. But then again, I don't know. I don't know. That probably would hurt her more than it would help her anyway. So she's hacked into the surveillance camera. Obviously, she can delete the footage of him being there. Um, and I, But I just think, like, why would you not go to a hotel? Go somewhere where you can't, uh, where Nick can't walk in on you because that's good. Uh, that's all I'm thinking is, oh my gosh, if Nick finds out about this, it's going to be bad news. Why would you even want that karma in your house? Why would you even want his nasty little butt sitting on your couch where you play video games and undoubtedly have had much, much, much sex with Nick? I wouldn't even want him there. I wouldn't even want to dirty my space with him. But she did. He shows up and she wants to just drug his wine. Her whole plan is to just put something in his drink, make him think that they did it, and then send him on his merry way. But he shows up with his own wine. We all know he's a, he's a wine snob. He wants he wants it to be perfect. He wants to he wants to savor a red and then savor a red. <laughs> He's such just a weird little guy. He shows up with this dorky 
plaid shirt on and he thinks he looks so good and then when he goes to pull out his wine from his wine bag a, a pair of fuzzy cuffs falls out this it, it's been funny I laughed at that because the guy is such a dork but there is a comedy element to it he's done a good job I will admit he's done a good job even just when he thinks he's gonna get some he sort of he's just so unappealing he purses his lips and just comes at her like mm, and she dodges his kiss it's just uh, he is such a little weirdo. And I can't believe that he was even falling for her entire routine. She's laying it on thick with him, you know, trying to get him all sexified and in the mood and making it seem like they had a connection once and she remembers that. And surely he cannot be stupid enough to think that she's going to go from threatening him earlier to now all of a sudden doting on him. I don't know why he didn't see all of this as a complete setup, but after he won't drink her wine, which just on a side note, do you think there's any chance he knew she put something in the wine? I don't know. I'm just curious enough if you guys got that vibe. But she realizes that that's not going to work because she still needs to go through her with her plan. So she tells him, I'm going to go upstairs, put on something sexy for you, Tim. And uh, she, what she really does is go upstairs and try to find some kind of alternative. To me, it looked like an injection, like she was going to inject him with something that was going to make him pass out. Scary. I don't know why she had something like that laying around in the first place. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't see exactly what it was. But while she's upstairs, he reaches into his coat pocket <laughs> and pulls out a bottle of something like Viagra. Basically, in addition to all of his other completely unappealing, unattractive qualities, he also has trouble getting it up. Ew, 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 ew. And not only that, but the, the brilliant doctor who writes prescriptions, he, he knows medicine. He decides that he's going to take a handful of little blue pills so that he can really perform. He wants to really, really give it to Phyllis. She comes back down, starts doing a little dance for him, which, by the way, the little dance that she was doing was so dorky. It was so... Everything's dorky about this freaking thing. But the dance she was doing was so uninspired. It was like... Do, 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 check me out on a sex... It wasn't even sexy. It was just... It was bad. Bad little dance. <laughs> and while she's dancing, giving him a, a private show... Dr. Reed gets it up and then falls down dead on the floor. <laughs> Phyllis goes from do 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 dancing to oh my god, oh my god, you're not gonna die in my house! <laughs> Again, another reason why she should have taken it to a hotel room. She could have just left him there. I don't know. Yeah, you really don't want a main witness in your you know, attempted murder trial dying in your house, Phyllis. I didn't think that this trouble could get any worse, and then it did. Oh, poor Dr. Reed. Hmm. Well, at least he died happy. I don't entirely understand how 
Adam and Chloe and Kevin are even making money off of Tag and Grab. I guess I don't understand the concept. They always said it was something like Pinterest, but only you could purchase the products. But Pinterest, it's you don't, like, you're not paying for it, and the vendors aren't getting anything. So if I pin one of my products... It, the website doesn't get any money. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys know. Maybe you caught on to what the thing is. Unless they have deals with the vendors behind the scenes. But you can't control what people pin. Well, you're, are you getting a percentage if, they, if something gets sold through your website? I don't get it. I don't, I don't get tag and grab. <laughs> I probably missed it because I was probably zoning out. Uh, because it was an Adam and Chelsea scene. <laughs> um... Adam is kind of being a jerk. I can tell. I can tell so much about how my feelings have changed about Adam. He's kind of being a jerk boss. Or he's acting like he's the boss of Kevin and Chloe. And it's sort of unattractive. It's sort of unappealing. He's getting real uptight about the website. Really putting a lot of pressure on Kevin and Chloe. But not doing a whole lot himself. I've seen Kevin and Chloe out scrambling. Trying to get people to use it. And they're thinking about it. And they've been living in breathing this website, and then Adam's coming down harsh on him. Yet, at the same time, he has no problem taking a break for baby making. <laughs> He's supposed to be scrambling trying to get new 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 users for the site and high-level users for the site, but then he just decides to take a little break to stump. <laughs> to which, I was surprised as soon as Chloe and, Ke Chloe and Kevin walked in on Adam and Chelsea after having done it, and Chloe was like, oh, did we interrupt something? I would be annoyed! You're riding my butt! about this website not being good and you're taking a sex break? Why don't you help? <laughs> it's your money. If you want to save your money, get out there and do something. Well, I actually liked that Kevin decided to ask Phyllis to help. I mean, if you're not a Phyllis fan, I can see how, yet again, it's Phyllis getting injected to yet another storyline. But at the same time, I thought she needs a job. She needs something to do. So that's fine. I kind of dig the idea. Um, I don't know. At the same time, asking someone who might be going to prison to be kind of a spokesperson for your website, probably not the world's best idea. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, one other, this is just totally off topic. I'm thinking about the scene with Adam and Chelsea and Kevin and Chloe. And I noticed that Michael Mooney is really tall. Does anybody know how tall Michael Mooney is? He looks like a tree standing next to Kevin or and Kevin and Chloe and Chelsea. Maybe it was just that. I just I never noticed that before. He's a really he's he is he is a tall, dark and handsome man. I I really really want my old Adam back though. Billy is trying to prepare for episode two of the Restless Style TV show, and he had a little powwow with Abby and Chloe in his living room. And did you notice, maybe again, maybe it was me, did you notice that the guy was different than he was last week? Last week, it was someone totally different, and now he's got this guy instead. I guess I thought, 
I don't know. I'm, that just seemed weird. Maybe he's having a rotating news person come in and sit in on the show. I'm not sure. I just thought, is that a different guy or is it just me? So maybe you can leave me a comment and let me know if I totally imagined that. So Billy is scrambling, trying to get information on Phyllis. Oh, but first I have to mention that Victoria has gone back to Newman. And she has told Billy that it's fine with her if Restless Style covers the board meeting, like the, the after board repercussions. And it's, it's, a, it's a piece of family news that all of a sudden she's okay with him covering. Now, I just have to say... I feel like Billy and Victoria would be doing their marriage a favor if they would just draw a line in the sand. Either Billy can talk about Newman and and the family and everything, or he can't. But this, all this, I don't know. It's it's all or nothing. It should be because this gray area causes problems in their relationship and it's annoying. It's annoying, and I end up wanting to take it out on Victoria, like. Make up your mind, woman. Just make up your mind. But I did think it was really funny that Millie decided to send, I don't even know if he decided, but he allowed Abby to go ahead and go to the press conference on behalf of Restless Style. And I laughed at the fact that she showed up. Hey, guys, it's me. Just here to be a serious journalist now. So what's up? Did I miss anything? <laughs> That's probably the most entertaining and funny that Abby has been lately for me. I definitely enjoyed that. But more importantly, Billy also asked Kevin to go out and get more info on the Phyllis story. And Kevin was trying to develop this connection with Phyllis about their website, and he thought, okay, well, maybe that's a good idea to follow up on that. So Kevin goes to Phyllis's house. He's kind of dually trying to get info about his website and trying to see if he can dig up any dirt for Billy. And he's knocking at Phyllis's door just as Reed goes down dead. And from the previews of next week's show, Phyllis is going to let Kevin come in and probably beg him to help her dispose of Reed's body. It's bad news. It just keeps getting worse and worse. I'm telling you. Phyllis is going to be like, look, Kevin, I will tag and grab for a lifetime if you help me cover up this mess. Paul's out of prison? That's good. I'm glad Paul's out of prison. Lauren posted his bail at like half a million dollars or some crazy amount like that. I, I, I'm glad to see him in street clothes for a while. I'm looking forward to seeing some development, some change on his murder trial. In the meantime, I wonder how Paul is going to feel about Heather and Daniel's relationship. I can... I mean, I'm sure I could see him not wanting his daughter to get involved with Phyllis's son, but I, I personally am all for Heather and Daniel's relationship. I'm feeling it. I, I think that the best love stories have an element of adversity to it, something to overcome. It's Romeo and Juliet. The, the parents don't want them to be involved together. They definitely have adversity. Whether or not Paul decides to support them, Phyllis, 
<laughs> ruins it. She's good. She gets up in there and she just has a way of tearing it apart. She tears Daniel apart. She sees him and Heather being together and she makes a huge scene in front of everybody saying, are you dating her? Are you into her? Come on, keep it down, Phyllis. Daniel's a big boy. He can make his own decisions. Uh, and it, it ended up having the effect of tearing them apart. They had this moment of realizing that they really can't be together because Heather's working on Phyllis's prosecution case. And to, to be entirely fair, I can see Phyllis's perspective, too. There is a good possibility from her mind that Heather could be using Daniel to get information about Phyllis. She's paranoid. Everybody's out to get her. So I think it follows right in line to think that Heather, the person who is trying to bring her down, could be trying to use Daniel to do it. I think that is, um, I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. Of course, I don't think it's true. I don't think that Heather is doing that. I think that she is truly flattered by the fact that Daniel is interested in her. Heather has been tossed aside by a lot of guys. She's been second choice for a lot of guys. Adam, she got bad used by Adam. Chance, she loved him, and he didn't really love her as much, I think. And so she just has had really bad luck. She had that horrible, all those photos being released of her getting involved, back involved with Adam, a, a momentary lapse of judgment being drunk. And so she's just had bad luck with men, and now here's Daniel, Mr. Slick, you know, Mr cute boy that of course everybody would want to date and he's paying attention to her and he's clearly interested in her and I feel a, a, a little bit of identification with Heather I can't even believe I'm saying that can you believe it it's all because of this actress I like her but I feel identified with her because I would probably be more of the straight in that situation I think that Daniel is very Mr. Groovy art boy you know and I would be more like suit you know not that I'm stiff or anything but I think I would identify a little bit more with Heather's personality I don't if it were me I don't think I would entirely trust Daniel to be to be completely honest with you at this point in life Heather is She's over 30, for sure. So certainly she has enough experiences under her belt to kind of know what kind of guy Daniel is. And even though I like Daniel, I do think he is kind of a lady magnet. I think that he likes the ladies. I don't think he has any problem getting them. I think that he probably, even though we don't see it, seems like the kind of guy who would have casual sex <laughs> with as many ladies as he wants to. I just, it's just my vibe that I get off Daniel, that he is Mr. Love him and leave him. That's, I think he didn't, I think that's why he's had such a hard time coming to grasp with being a father. He didn't want children with Amber. He enjoyed Amber. She was wild. She complimented that side of him, but he didn't want kids. He didn't want to be weighed down. And he is kind of Mr. I want to be free. And so uh, Heather is an odd choice for him because I think she is stiff. I think she is the kind of settle down girl. And I'm surprised that she went to his apartment. He, they kind of decided, hey, if we can't really be together in public, but you could come to my place, he said. I would never go to his apartment. It's like a babe lair. He's, I, I mean, I can understand her being drawn in by the bad artsy boy, but I don't know. I would be cautious if I were her, but I am enjoying their little tete-a-tete. <laughs> It is intriguing, I have to say. Um, it was a pretty good sex scene. I thought it was 
it was uh, it was titillating. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot to it. It was only one scene, pretty brief, but hey, short and to the point. That's how I like it. All right, are you ready for your alley honesty moment of the week? Because here it is. I am having a really hard time getting into the Kane, Samantha, Genevieve mystery storyline when it's been four weeks. I counted four weeks since we have seen anything about this. Anything. So YNR brings up the storyline Let's it lay dead for a month, and now I'm supposed to come back and care? Because I just don't. They're scrambling around. They're getting the runaround from some mystery person, which is obviously Samantha. It's unless they decide to twist it in some weird way at the very end. To me, it seems like Samantha's alive and she's jacking with them. But it's this huge runaround. It's just not interesting to me. I I just I'm not feeling it at all. You know what the storyline needs? Phyllis. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) A storyline isn't really doing real well? Shove Phyllis in there. It'll change things. She'll get in there and stir things up. Just kidding, you guys. Just kidding. I just don't. I'm not into it. I don't care. I don't feel invested. Um, And the thing I don't get, just one of the other things I just don't get is when did Lily become Genevieve's advocate? All of a sudden, Lily is like, Cain, you gotta be close with your mom. Let's unite the family. Don't accuse her of anything. And Lily was never like that before. Genevieve was the one that kept Cain from her, who convinced Cain to fake his own death. It feels inconsistent to me, so I've never understood that. And I just, I don't know, Samantha. I don't have a reason to care. It's, to me, again, just another new character that they're going to bring on. And I, I i don't know. I just wish something else could happen with Lily and Kane other than this. And I just haven't felt warm about Genevieve in a really long time. I liked her at first, and she just somehow felt out for me. I just, I don't sympathize with her. I don't, I, I don't think she's behind any of the stuff that's going on, but she, after she left, you know, she made a comment this week about how things could have gone so differently if she wouldn't have just backstabbed Jack, and I kind of think that's right. I think that's where she started losing me. She pulled that big move to try to get Beauty of Nature away from Jack, and it all blew up in her face, and that's kind of where I stopped being interested in her. So, it's really, it's, (laughs) Kane's sexiness is the only thing that's really even keeping me in at all. I like the way he looks. I like the way his pants fit. (laughs) Which is tight in all the right places. And that's really all. (laughs) It's, I think there's so much different potential that we could be doing with Lily and Kane. They don't always have to have a crisis. Kane is trying to interview somebody for this PR job uh, Jabot. I wish it would be Lily. Why can't he hire Lily? Lily needs to get that job, or she needs to get a job, or they need to get her back into modeling. She does nothing. And I'm ready to see Lily do something other than just be Kane's wife for a while. I don't know. Am I the only one that feels this way? Ugh. 
I'm, I hope that they just speed it along. It's been a long time of this runaround with the Samantha thing. Just get to it. If she's coming back, then bring her back. That's fine. I don't care. Just make it happen. I'm tired of the runaround. Hiring an actor to come and make a reservation under a fake name. It's just... It's a, it's a runaround, and I'm not interested in it. The only um thing that I think... I have kind of a sort of theory. Um... Genevieve is strapped for cash, so she had a moment this week where she talked with Tucker and asked him if he would still be willing to help her out financially, and Tucker, he bugs me. He said, last week he was all, goodbye, beauty, with Ashley, or maybe it was the week before, but he was all distraught over Ashley, and then this week when Genevieve starts to ask him about Ashley leaving town, he said something to the effect of, whatever, you know, whatever, it is what it is, I can't do anything about it, I'm, you know, I'm Tucker, I've always been Tucker, and just, it seems that when Ashley left, she took the best pieces of Tucker with her, and I think, I, again, I just have a feeling that Tucker is going to not be around that much longer, I have a feeling that he's going to be on the cut list, um, because something in him is starting to change, you can tell that he's not the same man he was with actually, he's, you know, based on his interactions with Sharon, and then the, some of the comments he's been making around Genoa City, uh, noticing that Harmony's moving on, when that was obviously maybe something he wanted, but there's something about Tucker that just seems much much darker now, and I can't help but wonder, with the way he's playing games with Sharon, is it possible that Tucker is behind whatever this whole hubbub is about Samantha? The last little thing I want to mention is a piece of casting news. Noah is being recast. Why? Why? I don't I don't get it. I don't that, that doesn't make sense to me at all. Why would they bother recasting Noah especially when the the last Noah we had, I can't think of his name, he had long hair, he was totally different vibe Noah, didn't work out. I I, I haven't felt a whole lot for the character of Noah just because he really hasn't been in the forefront since he's been back. Um and so I don't know why they would even bother to recast him. But I will say, if we're going to have a Noah, Kevin Schmidt, the actor who plays Noah currently, seems like Nick's son. Seems like the kind of kid that would be Nick's son. My major contention with the other actor that played Noah somewhat recently was that he he didn't seem like he was Noah and Sharon's kid. He was like a totally different person. So I, I, I just, I'm very, very leery about a recast and I have to mention I, I can't not mention that there have been a lot of there was a lot of rumors and frankly I think this is exactly right that they were going to have the character of Noah come out as gay there were a lot of reports saying that some young person in Genoa City is going to come out as gay and some people thought it was Fen or whatever but it was gonna be Noah there was a lot of question about what happened between Noah and Eden when they were in Paris, and you can tell that YNR started to lay the groundwork for that. They had a, Noah and Eden had a little bit of a, 
a conversation at one point where Noah apologized to her for whatever broke them up in <laughs> in Paris. And Eden was like, it's okay, you couldn't help it. And then there was the, the fact that they were roommates together and there was no at all insinuation that they were going to get back together. They were both completely comfortable just being room roomies. And so there were all of these reports saying it was going to be Noah uh, coming out as gay, which kind of uh, like made sense as far as where Lionar was laying the groundwork. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know. I don't see Noah as a gay character. I don't know. It, it, but I think even Kevin Schmidt had acknowledged that that was where his character was going. And then all of a sudden at the last minute YNR pulls out decides to not do that storyline I saw that report too just maybe two weeks ago that they had decided not to go in that direction and now this week they're recasting the character of Noah so I don't know if I don't know why YNR decided not to go with the gay storyline um, I don't know, or if they have decided to do that and use a different actor to do it. I have no clue. I'm curious to know what you guys think about this. What's going on with Noah? What do you think YNR's plans are? It's very puzzling to me. I don't know why they wouldn't just leave well enough alone. If you don't want to do the gay storyline, don't do the gay storyline, but don't give us some Noah that we have no connection to. There's no reason, no reason to recast Noah, I can't understand it for the life of me. And I know that the actor wanted to keep going. He had said so, that he was enjoying his time on YNR, and he just kind of got a call that he was already done. Like, we're done seeing this Noah. His last day, his last air day, I think was... Some, I think it was Nick and Phyllis's wedding or something. No, yeah, maybe that was it. Something, but he's already gone. There ain't no more Kevin Schmidt, so just say goodbye to old Noah. And I... I don't know. Look forward to new Noah? I don't know. Question mark? What do you guys think? Okay. My podcast friends, that is just about going to do it for me for this week. I'm exhausted. I'm very tired. Talking about YNR has really drained me today for some reason. I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> So I'm going to go do that. While I'm taking a nap, you can give me your feedback. I would love to hear from you guys. Tell me what you're thinking about the storylines or the casting news or anything else you've got on your mind. Leave me a comment and let me know. Here's how you can do that. You can call in and leave me a voicemail. It's like three minutes you got before the beep and you can let her rip. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code one if you're abroad. A lot of Australian podcast listeners, it seems. Are, are the Aussies more into podcasts? Is that is that you think that's true than Americans? Because it just seems like for, I don't know, maybe for um, the ratio of people that I hear from, just maybe Aussies are just more likely to comment. I don't know. It just seems like I'm always hearing from people in Australia, which I love. It's really awesome. Although I thought Australia was behind. I thought you guys were behind six months or something crazy. I don't know. Maybe you are. Um... Let's see, what else? You can uh, you can go to the blog if you would like to leave me a comment. You, it's uh, yrchatblog.blogspot.com, and you can scroll to the posting for this week's podcast and leave me a comment there. Or 
you can always just send me an email to yrchat at live.com. I'm looking forward to reading and responding. This is weird. I noticed this week that I say YNR as in Y-N-R rather than Y and R. Does everybody else do that? <laughs> I think I've heard other people do that. It's weird. I don't know why I never noticed that about myself. Y-N-R. Y-N-R. <laughs> All right, I'm getting loopy. I need my nap. <laughs> everybody, I hope you have a really good week. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and coming back next week to chat again about the show. Okay. Love you guys. See you then. Bye.